This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Advocating for Justice with Arthur Schwartz heard Mondays at 5 p.m. It is now 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent. Stay tuned. Good evening. In the news tonight, cholera breaks out in Mozambique. Trump wants to shut down the southern border. And we take a look at the money and politics behind the state's budget. You are listening to Indie Radio on WBAI 99.5, presented every Monday by The Independent, New York's progressive, reader-supported newspaper. I'm the Indies' associate editor, Peter Rue. Health workers in Mozambique raced Monday to contain a cholera outbreak in the city of Beria where cases of the disease have jumped to more than a 1,000. The outbreak comes more than two weeks after a cyclone swept through central Mozambique. About 100,000 people are living in camps for the displaced. In Nepal, nearly 30 people perished as a pre-monsoon rain swept through the country's southern farming region Sunday night. Climate change has led to an uptick in extreme weather in the subcontinent nation, causing brutal monsoons and, through the dry season, intense drought. Meanwhile, environmentalists are sounding the alarm over plastics in the Mediterranean Sea after a 26-foot sperm whale was found dead off Sardinia with nearly 50 pounds of plastic in its belly. Plastics have killed at least five other whales around the world in the last two years, according to the World Wildlife Fund. Here in the United States, hundreds of migrants arriving from Mexico found themselves living under a bridge. U.S. immigration officials said Sunday that they will close a holding area located under a viaduct connecting El Paso, Texas, and Juarez, Mexico. The area held hundreds of migrants in a pen lined with concertina wire. Customs and Border Protection says the migrants will be relocated to a place with more space and shelter. On Friday, President Trump renewed threats of shutting down the border unless Mexico does more to stem the tide of asylum seekers heading north. New York Senator Chuck Schumer wants Boeing to be removed from the Federal Aviation Administration's rulemaking committee as investigations deepen into both the company and the regulator's role in two deadly airline crashes. Congress is examining the relationship between Boeing and the FAA after deadly crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia involving the Boeing 737 MAX. The jet was greenlit by the U.S. regulator, which relied heavily on safety assessments made by Boeing employees. The number of measles cases in the United States through the first three months of this year has already surpassed the count for all of 2018. There were nearly 400 measles cases through March, the Centers for Disease and Control reported Monday, driven by outbreaks in several states, including New York. The outbreak comes amid an uptick in unsubstantiated public paranoia surrounding vaccines. Here in New York, the city's Economic Development Corporation is planning a new neighborhood in Queens. It says the 180-acre Sunnyside Rail Yard will include green space, affordable housing, and convenient transportation options. But the project has raised concerns of corporate welfare and worries that residents of the surrounding area will be displaced. The recently completed Hudson Yards neighborhood was built with $4.5 billion in taxpayer dollars. The EDC is considering a similar public-private partnership to fund the Sunnyside development. It will be holding a series of meetings through May to gather public input. 
A restaurant that sparked anti-gentrification protests in Crown Heights two summers ago is closing. Sugar Hill became a symbol of displacement in the black and Caribbean neighborhood when its white owner claimed holes in the restaurant's walls were caused by bullets. The city council is asking your input into how it will invest $35 million in New York neighborhoods. To weigh in on the participatory budget, visit pbnyc.org vote or find a poll site on your city council member's webpage. The city's annual budget is $90 billion. And in a far more opaque process, lawmakers in Albany put the finishing touches on the state's $175 billion budget over the weekend, largely through backroom haggling. Here's Governor Andrew Cuomo speaking to reporters on Sunday. This was not an easy one. It was a hard one. But the hard ones are the good ones, by definition. Uh, It's easy to leave the hard issues on the side. It's easy. And that's why they are hard issues, because they were put aside year after year after year after year. Why? Because nobody wanted to pick them up because they were controversial and hard. Yeah, we are here to do the hard ones, because those are the ones that need to be, need to be achieved. Among the progressive victories in the budget, a plastic bag ban, public matching funds for state-level elections that will increase the impact of small donor contributions, and an overhaul of the criminal justice system. Lawmakers eliminated cash bail for most misdemeanor and nonviolent offenses and lifted New York's blindfold law, granting defendants the chance to see the evidence against them before trial. The One Day to Protect New Yorkers Act, included in the budget, reduces sentencing for certain Class A misdemeanors by one day. This avoids triggering automatic federal deportation proceedings for undocumented immigrants, asylum seekers, and green card holders. A proposal to fund the subways with an annual tax on second homes worth more than $5 million was struck down after the real estate industry, Governor Cuomo's largest donor block, raised a stink. Instead, a one-time transaction tax of 4% will be levied on buyers and sellers of homes worth more than $25 million. Under a congestion pricing plan included in the budget, drivers traveling below 60th Street in Manhattan will be charged a toll. Funds from the initiatives will go towards the cash-strapped Metropolitan Transportation Authority. Governor Cuomo controls the MTA, but in recent months has sought to scapegoat the beleaguered agency, insisting he would like to blow it up. The budget includes a plan to overhaul the MTA and establish an independent oversight committee. Plans to legalize the use of recreational marijuana were dropped from the budget. And for more on the state budget and how it's going to impact the ways in which we live, get to work, and participate in our democracy, we're joined on the line by Jessica Wisniewski, Wisniewski, excuse me, co-director of Citizen Action, a grassroots organization that advocates for affordable health care, quality public education, getting money, the F out of politics, and criminal justice reform, <laughs> among other causes. And by reporter Ross Barkin, he has covered state politics for The Village Voice, Gothamist, State and City, and for The Independent. Uh, thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, just to get things, uh, hey there. Um, just to get things started, Ross, perhaps you could um, outline the way this budgetary process works. I mean, it seems like a lot gets done, determined in Albany between January and March, um, and sometimes most of it gets done over this past weekend. So, uh, why don't we go through that step by step, real quick? Sure. So, 
The budgeting process really begins in January. Andrew Cuomo is the governor. He delivers a state of the state address. He lays out his priorities. Then he puts out his executive budget, which is his proposal for the budget and is ultimately the most important one because that's how our state constitution is set up. The legislature, uh, each each house of the legislature puts out a budget. So the assembly and the state senate have their own budget proposals and then March is really spent reconciling all these different versions and coming into a budget. And in the past, most of the hard work gets done in the final days and hours, and that was the case this year as well, even though Democrats control the Senate now. The process of negotiation and the process of horse trading, that didn't really change so much. So the outcomes were different than they would have been had the Republicans still controlled the state Senate. Mm. Uh, yeah, but as you pointed out, this is the first year the Democrats have controlled both the legislative uh, uh, houses and the executive branch. Uh, looking at this year's budget, it seems there were some there was some progressive uh, steps, but there was a lot more that could have been done that wasn't. Perhaps we could go through, each of you could lay out some of the pros and cons of what was determined in this budget. Um, Jessica, would you like to, to start things off? Sure. I mean, because Citizen Action does work on the things you listed, whether it's health care, education funding, um, all of the issues that matter to everyday New Yorkers, housing certainly are wrapped up in this Albany kind of laden with big money contributions, right? So mm. our focus this year was as New York turns triple blue, and everybody has always said they want a small-dollar matching fund system like you have it there in New York City for statewide. We really went in hard with the Fair Elections for New York campaign, demanding that the legislature finally come through and Governor Cuomo deliver on really reforming the campaign finance laws mm. to lessen the influence of real estate that we really witnessed in the past few weeks. Um, and it was both good and bad, the outcome. Um, we, we did they kind of did a punt, right? And the, the governor, of course, is saying we did public financing of elections, but actually what they did was create a commission mm. that will have until the end of this year to make binding recommendations in law. And we would have thought of it as a clear victory, except for they left a lot of room for this commission. And so now it really comes down to who are the members of the commission, um, how quickly do they come together, and do they take their job seriously to not just create um, a public financing system that's that could be really weak, a pilot project, something ridiculous, or is it really the the six to one or above matching fund system that works for New York State and all the different parts of New York State? I mean, this so is even a- the campaign finance is good news, bad news. Mm. Yep. And uh, th- it's a real punt. You know, if you want to put something off, you, you set up a committee. It's a classic political move. Uh, l- we're going to talk more about this, uh, this impact that, that money's been playing in, in politics. Um, you know, Cuomo just uh, on March 14th had a big uh, secret donor party and he invited his state budget director along with him. I mean, talk about some horse training uh, at a luxury hotel here in Midtown. Uh, first, let's take maybe a broader view. Ross, uh, what was accomplished in this budget and what was, what was abandoned? Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a budget that was more far reaching than previous budgets in part, not in part, um, primarily because of the Democratic State Senate. So you had serious criminal justice reform, uh, change to our discovery law. So now 
defendants will really have a much fairer shot in the courtroom. You have an end, not a total end to cash bail, but for most crimes, there will be an end to cash bail. So that is certainly a positive. And you also have some degree of of change when it comes to taxation and congestion pricing. So while the details are still murky, there will be congestion pricing and we will be the first American city to have a form of congestion pricing where we will be tolling vehicles for driving into the central business district. So below 60th Street, again, the details of that to be determined and the devil in Albany is always in the details. And we will see a raising of the taxes on real estate on particularly a a one-time transfer tax. This was not the pied-a-terre tax that many progressives sought. That certainly was a disappointment, and that did show the influence of the real estate industry in the pied-a-terre tax. Just to recap, this would be a a tax on uh, luxury homes that are unoccupied. And that did not go through, and there was a concerted push uh, among mm. lobbyists and the uh, real estate industry to defeat it, and they were successful, at least for the time being. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jessica, it seems like, as I, I said in the headlines, it's a very opaque process. Is there a way we could really like open the doors, get this more out in the open? It, it just seems like so much is determined that this uh, in the month of March, and um, and there we have it. Uh, but they're in session six months out of the year. Um, uh, are, is Citizen Action putting forward any proposals to, to get rid of this sort of three men in the room, Albany uh, uh, horse training situation we have? Well, I will say I am very grateful there weren't three men in the room this year. Um, <laughs> right. I do think the influence of the Senate Democrats being in power under the leadership of Andre Stewart Cousins made a difference. Mm. Um, not, and so many of the things that Ross described would not be possible. Bail reform, um speedy trial and discovery, um, a number of these issues just would have never seen the light of day. And so to your point, I mean, but we still struggled, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pieta-Terre tax was a real heartbreaker for many of us who've been fighting to fully fund public schools for decades now, right? And they still came in at pretty low levels of school funding um, statewide. Um, and so that just means we have real work to do. And I think the process is definitely a piece of that. I think a lot of the grumbling of the past over the weekend, certainly in Albany, was legislators themselves who were there for the first time understanding just how challenging this process is Mm. and how behind closed doors this process is. It's also very rushed. Everything does come down to the last few days and the whole idea of a message of necessity. So, no, everybody can be printing bills in the middle of the night and voting on them within a, a few hours mm. with no public input. I mean, even on the campaign finance bill, we didn't see that legislation until it was nearly on the desk of the lawmakers. Mm. So I, I think the challenge is there are new, there's new energy in Albany with the new members. Now they've just been through their first budget cycle. And I think they and advocates are more fired up than ever before to break open this process and really use the legislative process in the way it's supposed to be used for serious public input, for real public hearings, um, for bills being introduced and amended. I heard one senator tell me she sat at a committee meeting a few weeks ago and actually put forth an amendment 
And one of the Republican senators was like, wow, that's the first time I've ever seen that done here. <laughs> so I think I'd like to see, I mean, we we don't have any particular recommendations, but I think we might. And I think the Senate, the new senators themselves and some of the new assembly members, I'm sure are thinking after this process, what do we have to do to really change the way Albany works? And getting the big money out is a piece of that. Mm. And then getting a better and sunlight process right uh, will be a big deal mm. in the future. Yep. And uh, we're going to take a quick break in a minute. But uh, Ross, you've written, I mean, last year there was this big push to really transform the, the state Senate, get the IDC people out of there. And uh, there's still some entrenched folks in the assembly that have kind of gone under the radar for years. So after this break, we'll talk a little bit about that and how the rest of this legislation is going to, uh, legislative session is going to play out. So uh, we'll be back in a moment with Indie Radio News, folks. Uncle used to love me, but she died A chicken ain't chicken till it's lickin' good fried Keep on the sunny side My uncle used to love me, but she died Who'll bid me quarter, thirty cents for a ring of keys Three sixty-five for a dollar bill of groceries I'll have me a car, my own someday But till then I need me a ride My uncle used to love me, but she died My uncle used to love me, but she died a chicken ain't chicken till it's lickin' good fried Keep on a sunny side My uncle used to love me, but she died Hamburger, cup of coffee, lettuce, and tomato Two times a dime to see a man kiss the alligator One more time around free on the Ferris wheel ride My uncle used to love me, but she died My uncle used to love me, but she died a chicken and chicken till it's licking good fried. Keep on a sunny side. And we're back. You're listening to Indie Radio, Indie Radio News on WBAI 99.5. I'm Peter Rue, and I'm joined tonight by Jessica Wisniewski of Citizen Action and by reporter Ross Barkin. Uh, welcome back again, both of you. Uh, so, Ross, uh, the state assembly, the Democrats there, um, there was this big focus on the IDC, but you, you've written that maybe people should change their focus uh, to some of these entrenched members uh, in the lower chamber. Sure. And I just wanted to mention before, in, in terms of the uh, big budget victories, one for the environmental movement was the ban on plastic bags mm-hmm. to go into effect next year. So that, that is a big deal. And the assembly, since we're on the assembly, actually – killed a New York City Council push to impose a fee on the bag. So one example there. So yes, I wrote recently about the fact that it could be productive to primary members of the Democratic State Assembly. And so it's important just to understand that the Assembly has been in Democratic hands for now 40 or more years. You have legislators who have been there for several decades. You have legislators who have never in their entire tenure run a competitive election or have run in maybe one when they were first elected a very long time ago. So while in the past the assembly was the only house that could produce any progressive policy, that is no longer the case. The state senate is younger, it's more dynamic, it's really pushing Albany in a new direction, and now it's the assembly that is the more state chamber. And I don't mean to indict it wholesale. There are many good state assembly members. But at the same time, as you've seen with this public financing push, the fact is 
in the past, the Assembly was voting for public financing of elections, and now that the Senate supported it, they pulled back their support because, in <laughs> fact, it's not really clear a lot of these veteran lawmakers want public financing of elections. So that's just one example where you do have um, veterans or, or those who have been around a long time who are very entrenched who don't want to see the democratic process change. So my argument is even if you don't win your primaries, it's worth forcing them to compete. It's worth forcing them to speak to voters in, 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 much more, in, in a much more serious way than they have in the past. And elections are good. We saw with the IDC primaries, you elected six new dynamic state senators. And now I believe in 2020, this legislature could benefit for, from real elections on the assembly level. And these are safe Democratic districts, so it's not as if primarying these Democrats will cost the Democrats their overall majority. It will not. It's impossible. And so I think it's even more beneficial in that context. Real quick, if someone was to get tire, uh, targeted in the assembly, uh, who, who would you recommend going after? Um, I don't I don't want to do that. Uh, I'd say it's very early. Um, I would say even those who are who are or will be targeted, they have done good things too. It's important not to even to, to, to completely ignore the good bills that, that members of the assembly have pushed. At, at the same time, whether you're looking at the outspoken opponents of congestion pricing, those who didn't want to do a plastic bag tax or a plastic bag ban, those who don't support public financing of elections, those are some good places to start. Mm. I think also looking at the nexus of real estate and the assembly, where in the past it was the Republican State Senate that was heavily funded by Rebney, the Real Estate Board of New York, the, the lobbying arm of the real estate industry. Now it's time to turn our attention to the assembly and look at where is the real estate industry really putting its funds. And, and you can draw a pretty quick roadmap from that. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it was pretty easy when the Republicans controlled the Senate for the assembly to be very progressive. But when it actually had to pass reg uh, legislation that would have meat on it and become law, uh, there was a lot of waffling there this year. Uh, so uh, talking about money in politics and the way things have shaken out, there's going to be a committee set up to uh, set up these matching funds for public matching funds for election. Um, people, I, I take it, uh, Citizen Action, Action Jessica has pushed for a matching funds of uh, six to one. So whatever uh, small donation I give, it gets matched uh, six times in the public arena. Um, and But that's now been punted to a committee. And I, I guess I take it now the question is, uh, who's going to be on this committee? And I'm wondering how much say Cuomo's going to have in this. Because if there's anyone that uh, publicly is against money in politics, but privately very much for it, it it's our governor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's we, you know, I'm very torn. I mean, we definitely struggled with the assembly on this. Um, although there were some really wonderful assembly champions uh, who really were in there working their colleagues on this a long time. Um, and, you know, we we're like to say if if Andrew Cuomo really wanted a public financing system of elections, then we would have one on the books today. But we are headed into a commission scenario. The makeup of the commission, it's nine commissioners. The majority leader of the Senate, Speaker of the Assembly, and Governor Cuomo each get two picks. Mm. Um, the minority leaders of each house each get one pick. And then the three in the majority have to collectively choose the ninth member. And the commission is not even constituted without its ninth member. 
So that's what we're really looking at is how quickly um, the commission comes together and if it indeed does come together uh, and who's on the commission. Mm. Are they people who are genuinely interested in figuring out the best and most modern and most effective small donor matching fund system for New York State? Um, Or are they party hacks? And let's not forget, in the dead of night, Sure enough, when when the state Senate and Assembly were totally boxed in, because remember, if they don't pass a budget, then the governor even has more power in the budget process. And so they were boxed in. And in the commission was a line that questions whether or not they deal with the fusion voting Mm. system in New York State. So remember, and this, of course, Working Families Party uses the system, of course, the conservatives on the other side um, to build power progressive power, certainly the WFP. And of course, everybody's looking at Andrew Cuomo sneaking it in the, in the middle of the night um, as what retribution to the working families party uh, to try to mess around with the fusion system. So this commission may or may not, we're going to argue they shouldn't look at fusion at all. Um, really, this needs to be a serious commission about getting a good public financing system done by the end of the year. Yeah, but I was going to ask you about fusion voting because I know Citizen Action's been a big proponent of the Working Families Party, and it, it seems pretty underhanded to take this reform uh, uh, for like publicly financing elections and then and sneak in this attack on fusion voting. Uh, maybe just briefly, we're, we're running low on time, uh, maybe you could mention, Jessica, the ways in which Working Family has really held uh, the center of the Democratic Party's feet to the fire. So people understand why Cuomo's going after Sure. Yeah. I mean I mean the first thing of course is we ran Cynthia Nixon, mm. right? For yep. governor in the primary last year. Um, and then put her on the working families party line. She eventually came off the WFP line in the end. But in the meantime, we picked up the mantle along with the grassroots activist base and ran um, all of the wonderful now new state senators against the IDC. Um, and took out the centrists in the state Senate to create a progressive state Senate. That was very much the Working Families Party. Mm. We know Governor Cuomo was quite comfortable with the Independent Democratic Conference uh, going along with the Republicans. It got him out of doing a lot of progressive things he uh, would have rather not, like raise taxes on the rich and fully fund public schools. Mm. Um, And he's pretty mad about it, or it wouldn't have been snuck in the middle of the night into a public financing commission, because there's really no need to look at the fusion voting system. It might even be illegal what they're going to try to do. So hopefully this commission and the people who constitute it understand um, that we need to focus on a good public financing system uh, and leave the fusion system alone. Mm. Great. We're almost out of time, but I really want to say I really want to get this question in before we leave. Um, you know how the real estate industry demonstrated its power during this budgetary process. Ross, Jessica, uh, thirty seconds each. What does that mean when our city's rent laws, our state's rent laws, go up for renewal in June? What does that signify? Well, it means that while there are a lot of far-reaching um, proposals in the state senate right now, including one for universal rent control, which would apply the laws of the rent stabilization program to all um, tenants in New York City. Uh, this is going to face a lot of pushback, and you may see Rebney targeting more moderate Democrats, maybe those in the suburbs, maybe those upstate, to really be a counterforce to the city. So I, effect, I expect a real serious knockdown, dragout fight over the rent laws. They will, at the minimum, be strengthened every one 
accepts that will happen. It's a question of how much they will be strengthened by, and we're going to find out soon. Jessica, anything you'd like to add on that? It's going to take a monster fight, and we want better housing upstate, too. The housing mm. crisis and homelessness crisis is statewide, and we need to use the 5th, June 15th deadline to win statewide housing policy. And it, it's going to take a monster fight to beat back the real estate campaign cash. So I would encourage everybody to go to housingjusticeforall.org and sign up and join the battle. All right. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, housingjusticeforall.org. Uh, that's it for tonight's Indie Radio, brought to you by The Independent, New York's progressive newspaper. We're on every Monday at 6 p.m. here on WBAI. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This is the professor, Dr. Ron Daniels. Friday, April 5th, all roads lead to Newark for a national town hall meeting on gentrification, the Negro removal program of the 21st century. Hosted by Mayor Roz J. Baraka, with special guests Danny Glover and Dr. Julianne Malvo. Local speakers include Larry Hamm, Frederico Bay, and Assemblyman Charles Barron. It will be moderated by Mark Thompson. That's Friday, April 5th, 7 o'clock p.m. sharp in Ballroom A in the Campus Center of the New Jersey Institute for Technology, 150 Bleecker Street in University Heights. You don't want to miss a discussion of the destructive force that's displacing black people and black culture and black communities across the nation. Broadcast live on WBAI. It's free and open to the public. For further information on directions to the campus, call 973-596-3605. That's 973-596-3605. Or visit the website www.ibw21.org. That's ibw21.org. Come on, neighbors, let's get wise. So, the plaster is falling, the paint is peeling, the plumbing is leaking, the heat and hot water keep cutting off, the elevator keeps breaking down, and the landlord won't return your calls, but the rent keeps going up and up and up. Find out what you can do about it. Tune in to Housing Notebook, Mondays at 8 p.m.